Well, I'm excited. You know what? When we talk about this new book that we're getting into, I'm going to share this with you. It is a literary masterpiece. This book is going to be awesome for us to go over. You know, the, when we look at this book, you know what? It has profound teachings. Like the book of Proverbs, filled with wisdom. You know, the sentences as we go through them, they're going to be short, but they're going to be simple and direct. They're going to be in your face. And that's awesome to know, you know what, that the Lord does talk to us. He speaks to us. He rebukes us. He corrects us. He reproves us. He instructs us. And this is what we're going to see today. He uses metaphors and similes. The eloquency in his words and the figure of speech are passionate. What he writes about is filled with this exhortation. The beautiful in expression. And this is what we're going to read about. You know, when I talk about these things, right? I think to myself, should any of us be surprised by the things that are written here? Remember this. It is God who wrote the word of God. From the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation. So why should we be surprised with the words that he has written? All he did was use James to pen this letter. This is all he was. He was just an instrument that was used by God. But he, he was used because he was chosen by God. And because he had matured in the Lord. You know what? I marvel at that though. Why would God choose us? Think of that, right? Why would God choose you and me? You think to yourself, you know what? I'm no, nobody perfect. I'm not, you know what? I'm not a spiritual giant. You know what? We, have, we don't compare to the Lord, but He chooses to use us. He chooses to use each and every one of you. And you have all been chosen by God for His plan and for His purpose. And so, when I look at this, as we go over the book of James, I want to give you an introduction so you know everything you need to know as we go into this book. You know, who wrote the book of James? You know what? In the New Testament, there's four James. Okay, there are four James that are mentioned. And when we think about it, you know what? Who is the one that penned this book? You know, the first James I want to talk to you because I'm going to go over the four James so that you guys know and understand who is the James that wrote this. We all know the Apostle James, right? You've heard of the Apostle James. He was one of the twelve chosen by God to be an apostle, to be sent out to give forth the word of God. He was a brother of John. John, the one that wrote the gospel. John, the one that wrote the book of Revelation. John, the one that wrote First and Second John. And we know that he was what? He was turned, John and James, they were brothers, and they were turned the sons of thunder. And why would he call them the sons of thunder? Because they had quick and impulsive behavior. You know, just like thunder, when you see thunder coming from the sky, it's quick and it comes down, right? And you're just like, whoa! That's the way they were with their behavior and the things that they said. The Lord would go, whoa! I don't know if he said that, but that's what he meant by that, right? He'd be thinking to himself, what are you guys doing? Remember, he'd be upset at them. No, you don't do that. But see, one thing that we know about this James is that he died in 44 A.D. 
And this is when persecution began upon the church. And it was King Herod that killed James, this apostle, in 44 AD. And you think to yourself, if he died in 44 AD, could he be the one that wrote this letter? Not likely. See, because when James writes this letter, he talks about the Jews that are being scattered. And they were scattered also when King uh, 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 Herod began the persecution upon the church. So that means that more than likely it wasn't this James. There was also another apostle named James. And this was James, the son of Alphaeus. So when you think to yourself, the first one was called James, right? The brother of John, James and John. This one is James, the son of Alphaeus. And you think to yourself, if he is James, the son of Alphaeus, that's also a term that Matthew received. And Matthew was also called the son of Alphaeus. So some people say, could James have been the brother of Matthew, also another apostle? Well, one thing about James and Matthew, they never turned them as brothers. So I don't believe that they were brothers. They probably had the same, uh, 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 the father with the same name, but more than likely it was not the same. So, about that James, there's really nothing mentioned about that James. So we don't believe that that James is the one that could have written this. And then there was a third James. And this third James was a father of Judas, another apostle. Okay, so there was, Judas was another apostle, and his name was Labias. And Labias in Matthew is what he called this apostle. And when we look at the Gospel of Luke and in Acts and also in John's a Gospel, they term him Judas, not the Iscariot. But I don't want to get too confused as to, you know, thinking to yourself, well, is this that father of Judas that, is, that, that has written this? On that one, we don't have any information on him. We don't know who he is. I mean, just all we know is he was a father of, of the additional apostles. So we don't really believe it's him. This last James that I'm going to mention, this is a James that we believe who wrote this letter. And this fourth James that I'm talking about is the half-brother of Jesus. And the controversy as to which James wrote this letter, it's there. You know why? Because when James wrote the letter, he never calls himself the half-brother of Jesus. And turn to the, if we're all there, go to verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 of chapter 1 in the epistle of James. It says that James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So the controversy that has come is, well, which James is this, right? Because if you were the brother of Jesus, some man would... You know, what would they do? The first thing they title themselves is, Hey, you know what? I'm Jesus' brother. He's my bro, man. You know, he's my brother. And, and that's what, you know, you would think that a man would write that, right in the gospel, in the letter. But he doesn't. And because of that, people are wondering, which James was this? But what I love about him is that he calls himself what? A bondservant of God, a slave of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never mentions himself as the half-brother. 
But why do we believe that he is the writer of this letter? Why is it that we believe that he wrote this? I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to give you sort of a history here on this James, okay? And then I'm going to explain to you why he would be the one that was written. So let's talk about James. I want you to open up to verse 55 of, of Matthew, Matthew 13. And it says there in Matthew 13, verse 55, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Were then, where then did this man get all these things? So we see here that, we see the fact that, you know what? That we have Jesus, I mean, uh, uh, James mentioned as one of the brothers of Jesus. We call James a half-brother. Why would we call James a half-brother and not a full-brother of Jesus? The father of James was Joseph, but the father of Jesus is who? Is God. So we see here that, you know what, that he is. He can't be called a full-brother, so we all turn him to be what? A half-brother. And many people will begin to say, you know what? If Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, we know that His Father is God. But we see here that, you know what? He has brothers and sisters. And according to Matthew 1, 25, it tells us there that, you know what? That Joseph, Joseph did not know. He did not have relations with Mary until after the birth of Jesus. And once he had relations with Mary after the birth of Jesus, that's who they had here. Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know what? Isn't that amazing to know that, you know what, that somebody out there, you know, was related to Jesus as far as brothers and sisters and they grew up with Jesus? Imagine to see Jesus, you know what, behaving appropriately, behaving godly, you know what? And they're all misbehaving. And you know what? Imagine what they were probably thinking to themselves. Man, look at this guy. My brother. You know, he thinks he's all, you know what, good and all that. You know, imagine what was going on. Because, see, they were of a sinful nature. They weren't like Jesus, right? And did you know that according to John uh, chapter 7, verse 5, it states that his own brothers, the brothers of Jesus, did not believe in him. They didn't believe who he was. So for 30 years, think of it this way. They never believed that Jesus was God. That Jesus was God in the flesh. Even though they saw His unselfishness, even though they saw His goodness, even though they saw He was a perfect example, they said, you know what? We don't believe Him. We don't believe that He's God. Jesus is crazy. You know what? To think that He's God in the flesh, He teaches everybody, He does miracles... But you know what? He isn't God. He's lost it. Remember this. When you first became a believer, what did people say about you, your brothers and sisters? They said, man, that guy's crazy now. He's a hallelujah boy. He's a Jesus freak. He's a Bible thumper. 
We all got the same thing, right? So why wouldn't Jesus? You know, you could, I could just hear his brothers, you know, and his sisters making fun of Jesus when he was doing what he was doing. And the gospel reveals that, as it says, that they did not believe who he was. When is it that James finally came to the realization that Jesus was God in the flesh? I want all of us to turn to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's read from verse 1, because you know what? This says so much here. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I saw, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that, He was seen by, uh, by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Paul is saying, you know what? You know some of these people. See, Paul was alive at this time, and a lot of these people hadn't died yet. So he's saying, Jesus did live. You've seen. You know, we have witnesses. Over 500 people have seen Jesus risen from the dead. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. The James that he's referencing here is a half-brother of Jesus. And why do I say that? See, as Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, you know what? He knew that all of a sudden, if he mentions James, James became a leader in the church. After he saw the risen Christ, this guy turned his life around. All of a sudden, this man that we have here, James, he was convinced that he was God. Why? Who else has risen from the dead? Who else has died and conquered death? No one else has done that but Jesus. Uh, but Jesus, right? And James saw him and he was completely convinced. Imagine what he did if he was one of the first ones to see Jesus. He probably went back to his brothers and, and sisters, right? And said, you're not going to believe this. I just saw Jesus risen from the dead. And with that, his life was radically transformed. When you know Jesus is real, our hearts are transformed, aren't they? When we know that Jesus has touched us, we become new creations. Our lives are transformed. And our lives are a testimony of the power of God. See, what people see on the outside is what convinces them that Jesus is real. See, James became one of those where he became a radical lover of God. And his life was changed. And people saw him and said, you know what? Look at this man. And because of that, because of his life being transformed and changed, he became a leader in the church. You know what? When it comes to, to, uh, to James, in Acts 1.14, it mentions that James was there praying with all the disciples for the Holy Spirit to come and to baptize them. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 9, Paul mentions James 
as a pillar of the church. And in Acts 15, it was James that moderated the issues about salvation for the Gentiles. He's the one that said, you know what? The fact is, is that, you know what, we have witnesses here that God is available to all. And we should not give them an additional burden to do what we Jews are doing, circumcising ourselves, keeping the law. He says, you know what? He was a leader in order to make these decisions. And we know that when Paul, when he brought the offering, he brought greetings to James. And when Peter was left out of prison, he went and he, and he, and he says, send a message to James. This is the James that we're writing about, the man that became the leader of the church. Chosen by God. His qualifications, see, what happens to us is as leaders, there's certain qualifications that we must lead and live by. And you know what? That shows your maturity in the Lord. And the Lord can use you once, he, once you are matured. He can use you before that. But He can't. It's hard to make you a leader if you don't reflect who He is. God's desire is not only to save you. You know what God's desire is? To mature us. Why does He want to mature you? Because He wants you to be witnesses to the world. See, everybody thinks, you know what? It's only God's desire to save me. I'm saved. And I'm there. And I'm good. You know what? God just doesn't want to end it there. He wants, you, he wants to mature you in Him. And this was James. I'm going to give you what tradition says about James. They say that James was a spiritual man, as I'm sharing with you. Did you know that James was a man of prayer? You know what they used to call him? A man of camel's knees. A man with camel's knees. Why would they say that? When you look at camel's knees, have you ever seen them filled with callus? Why are they filled with callus? Because their camels are always where? They get on their knees, right? What does that show about James? He was always on his knees praying. That is a sign of maturity. We talked to the men yesterday about that. A sign of maturity is prayer. And James talks about that. He's going to talk about it at, towards the end of the letter that he writes. One thing that we know about James... Tradition tells us, and in the writing of Flavius Josephus, a first century historian, you know what he says about James? That he was martyred in 62 AD. Why was he martyred in 62 AD? Because the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like the message that he was giving out. And you know what they did with him? They took him on the pinnacle of the temple there in Jerusalem. And you know what they did with him? Tied up. You know what they did? They pushed him over. And he fell to the ground. And guess what? James didn't die. After falling from... I don't know how high that temple was. But however high it was, it was high and they thought he was dead. But then they saw that he was still alive. And you know what they decided to do? They decided to bring stones and they were throwing them at him. And he still didn't die. You know what they did? Is They brought a club and they clubbed him to death. Imagine that. When, it, when we think about James, they say that he reacted just like the Lord did. Do you remember when they crucified the Lord? Tradition tells us that he said the same words. What were the words of Jesus on the cross? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what 
they do. This was the heart of James. This is what happened to James. And when did he write it? If he died in 62 AD, and there, there was a persecution that started by King Herod, and that's why James writes about to the scattered, to the 12 tribes that are scattered outside of Jerusalem, right? So that means that if he started it in 44 AD, King uh, Herod, and they started moving out, and I don't know if many of you know this, but the Jerusalem Council, the one I was telling you about, where they had to determine how the Gentiles, uh, they could be saved or not without circumcising and keeping the law, that was in 49 AD. So that means that this could have been written between 44 AD and 49 AD. And that is a time frame. And who did he write it to? Just as I mentioned, he wrote this letter to the 12 tribes that were scattered among the nations. In other words, outside of Jerusalem. And they were scattered with persecution. Do you see what has happened to us today? We've been scattered. We've been taken out. For whatever reason. Only God knows. And it's awesome to see that we're here. And we're here to grow in the Lord. We're here to mature in Him. And how we handle this shows our maturity. Imagine if I would have said, You know what guys? Started crying out there. And just say, you know what? I don't know what to do. You guys come around me and, and you know what? And, and comfort me. I want to give up. I want to leave the ministry. Now I can't handle this. What kind of maturity would I have? What would you guys think of me? You guys would think, you know what? Do we want to follow a leader that caves in? You know what? That all of a sudden persecution comes and, and you know what? He's the first one to leave. You know what that's called? A hireling. Somebody that is hired to shepherd the flock. When persecution comes, he runs. But a shepherd will lead you to the ways of the Lord. Will give you His Word to grow and mature in His Word. When James wrote this, he didn't write it to an individual. He wrote it to several believers, right? He, sold, he wrote it to Jewish Christians. To the twelve tribes, all of them that were scattered. And when we look at other epistles, other letters, Peter, John, and Jude were written also to others. And why did he write this letter? This is how we're going to finish today. Why would James write this letter? He wanted to encourage and to exhort young believers to mature in Christ. See, he wanted them to grow. He wanted them to live out their faith. See, churches today, they're filled with immature believers. And that's not what God wants for you. God doesn't want our churches to be filled with young believers. He wants, us to, he wants it to be filled with mature believers, resting in the Word, behaving appropriately, having godly conduct. See, Paul, do you remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthians? That church was filled also with young believers. They were envy and strife. And they were saying, you know what? I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. And you know what Paul says? Did I die for you? I didn't die for you. We belong to Christ. A mature believer realizes that they belong to Him. And so he had to deal with the immaturity that was going on in the church of Corinth. 
See, maturity in the life of a Christian is seeing how you handle your life. See, it's not about, you know what, I've been in the Lord for 10 years. Or I've been in the Lord for 30 years. And you walk around, you know what, hey, you know what, when you say, you, you, you pull out your chest and you say, you know what, I've been in the Lord 30 years. That's not a sign of maturity. See, the outward man will always reveal an inward change. And that's what we got to think about. You got to think to yourself, you know what, even though I've been in the Lord for a year, am I living out the principles that are in His Word? Am I a doer of the Word? Or am I still behaving the way I was before I came to know the Lord? See, this is what the Lord wants to reveal to us. Several times, James mentions a word perfect, coming to perfection. And he's not talking about being sinless, because none of us are sinless, right? You've seen your life, no matter how good we want to be, we still fall, right? Every single one of us, no matter how good we want to be, we're going to fall. But perfection means in maturity. Even when you fall, how are you going to do that? Are you going to drop to your knees, walk away from that sin, and do as God has asked you to do? See, this is where we, where we think of ourselves, right? There has to be an evidence of your faith, and that's what Paul talks about. I mean, uh, James talks about there must be an evidence of what's going on inside of you that reveals that maturity. The Christians that he was writing he, met, he saw this. He says they weren't handling difficult times appropriately. Do you know that the first mention of, J, uh, uh, of, of the, gospel, uh, uh, the epistle from James is to count trials, to count them as joy. That is how a mature Christian will deal with their trials. Like this. You know, there was many of us that were saying, right? Praise the Lord. What is God doing with our church here? Praise the Lord. Something is going on. You could see the sense of maturity. Those that become fearful. Those that become, you know what? Oh, you know what? I don't know if I want to follow. I don't know if I want to be at this church anymore. You know what? Deep down inside, that's not where God wants you. If God has called you here, we stand together. Remember, in Him we have victory, right? Do you remember... The victory that the Lord had. See, the devil didn't think that Jesus can die and resurrect from the dead. When he died and rose from the dead, that was a victory that we all have because none of us will ever taste death. We will live forever and ever. That is a victory. And the Lord says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors in Christ. In him we have victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not our battle, it's his battle. And the Lord just wants us to stand in the power of His might. To stand strong. You know what? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong in me. I will fight your battles. I will be there with you. This church, they were fall- the, the, the Christians that He was seeing, the Jewish Christians, they were falling into temptation. They were beginning to be partial with the rich. Treating them differently than the poor. You know what? Do you remember in the book of James is where the fire of the tongue. It's a little fire, right? That speaks either death or life. They were talking too much. You know what? There was too much things going on. They were destroying people by gossip or envy or jealousies, whatever it was. And Paul was, and James was telling them, you know what? That's not where you need to be. 
There was worldliness coming into the church. Worldliness into their lives. You know what? Choosing, you know what? Which fence? Which side of the fence am I going to be on today? You know what? Today is Sunday. I'm going to be on the Lord's side. Tomorrow when I go to work, you know what? I'm going to do what the world says. I'm going to party and, and flirt and hang out and be with, you know, at the bars and, and doing this or that. Whatever you say, you know, whatever you want to do, right? See, there was worldliness coming into it. You know, the perspective was wrong. They were looking at the here and now instead of being heavenly minded. You know, they were disobeying the Lord. There were many that were... Uh, that, that would strain from the Lord all signs of immaturity. So this is where James writes this. He was correcting the conduct of the believers, of the young believers. When he was saying, you know what? This is how a mature believer handles these situations. And this is what we're going to read in James. I'm excited about this. You know why? Because I see our church growing, coming from a young church maturing in the Lord I see it because for those of you that have been with us from the beginning I believe you can see where our church is is going we're a young church we're still a baby church but one thing about our church is we're growing up in the Lord we're handling each other differently we're talking to each other we have a sole purpose now the purpose isn't you know what about us it's about Him it's about loving others. It's about helping others. It's about being with others. Most importantly, it's getting the gospel out, the good news. We live for Him. We live in a time today. It's an awesome time that we live in. Even though it may seem, you know what, fearful at times. But again, you know what the Lord says? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see what's happening right now. I don't know if you know this, but we have sent a battleship to the canals by Iran. Why is that? What's going on? You hear of China, of Russia, of of uh, uh, of uh, Iran coming together and telling Israel and other nations, "You better not go into Israel." What is that a sign of? You know what? The Lord is coming soon. Know that. When that time comes, we don't know. But if we believe that He's coming soon, we're going to live appropriately. We're going to live lives that glorify Him. You know what? This is an awesome time. We see persecution happening now in the U.S. with Christianity, right? We see how the government, they want to take away our freedom of religion to mandate things that you should do. That the church should do. They're telling us now what to do. And there is a separation. The Constitution and the early writers wrote the, wrote the Constitution to keep the government out of church. And the government today wants to come into the church and tell us what to do. See what's going on. Can you talk about Jesus out in the workplace, in the government, in the schools? What happens if you were to talk about Jesus? What happens is if a teacher was to go out there and start saying, you know what, let's pray in the name of Jesus? What would happen? You'd probably get fired, right? There's some teachers here. If you did that, what would happen if you get fired, right? But yeah, you can mention any other name, right? And you don't get fired. They say, you know what, it's okay. You can mention Mohammed. You can talk about him all you want. You can talk about Allah. 
You could talk about Buddha. You could talk about any other spiritual leader, right? And it would be okay. But when it comes to the name of Jesus, there's an issue with it. Why is there an issue? Because from the beginning of time, there was always a war, a battle between God and the devil. And the devil knows his time is limited. And he's trying to do what? To raise havoc against the church. But remember, when there's persecution against the church, it multiplies. And this is what's happening in our world today. God will multiply. And remember, when the last Gentile is saved, guess what happens? He's going to come and take his church out. And that's what we're waiting for. You know, the problems they faced, you know what, are problems that we have in our churches today, coming back to James. The spiritual immaturity. Spiritual maturity is so needed in our churches today. I want to share that with you. Have you guys ever gone and most of you have kids here and some of you that don't have kids. I know you've seen this before. You've gone into a nursery, right? And how do you see the kids in the nursery? Aren't they fighting with one another? Don't they take each other's toys away, right? Don't they say bad things to one another? You know what? You see kids misbehaving, right? In nurseries. You know what? I have my little girl right there. She wants her things. And if you don't give it to her, she's going to get mad and cry. You know what? This is what happens also in churches. When they don't, when, when the believers don't get their way. When they want certain things. Or they don't like the way things are being uh, run in the church. God is the one leading this church. And if you have an issue with the way it's being led, your issues are with God, not with the leaders. Remember that. And as we go through this, you know, we, we think to ourselves that, you know what? That we want to be a church that is mature, where the Lord can, can move powerfully. But that is only done by how you behave. See, where people see your behavior, because people, you know what? They like to copy behavior, don't they? If they see you behaving appropriately, then they're going to be... They're going to wonder to themselves whether they should be misbehaving also in church. Imagine if you saw me as Richard was talking about the pastors that are falling. Imagine if you saw me, you know, hitting on the girls that were here. Or you know what, or, or if you saw me, you know what, bad-mouthing every person that's here. What would you think? You know what, it's a matter of that outward. What's going to change that has happened in the inward is a reflection of what's going out on the outside. Remember, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. Whatever is in your heart, if Jesus is there, then you're going to behave appropriately. That is the evidence of your faith. What is going on in your heart? How are you behaving on the outside? If you're behaving appropriately, guess what's going on? You know what? Then You know what? God is moving. And you are maturing Him. For us, when it comes to, to the book, I want to share this with you. When, the, when they went to the church to determine, you know what? Are Gentiles saved apart from circumcision and keeping the law? James was one of the pillars, right? He was one of the leaders. And he spoke up and he moderated it, and based on what he said, they said, you know what? Yes, we're with you. And he also said, let's write a letter. 
I want to write a letter because we're going to give it to Paul and we're going to give it to Barnabas and we're going to give it to Silas and we're going to have them go out and deliver this letter to all so that the churches know what's going on. When he wrote this letter, we believe that he was one of the, the authors of it. And when he talked in Acts 15, many of the words that are used there are also the words that he uses in the letter of James. And so, when it comes to us, let's finish up here, back in James. In verse 1. Because see, this is how we're going to close, as it says there. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? He never mentions that he's the brother of Jesus. Why wouldn't he mention that? Why wouldn't he talk about that? It gives us insight as to his character. See, he looked at himself as a man saved by the Lord, as a man saved by God. And he looked at himself as a bondservant. You know what a bondservant is? Somebody that willfully becomes a slave of another. You know what? He no longer lived for him. He was living for the Lord. He was living for others. To be classified as a pillar in the church, there had to be a radical transformation that went on in James. To think that he never believed Jesus for 30 years, but now he became a pillar in the church. And that was because he allowed his life to be fully surrendered to the Lord. A sign of maturity is how you walk in the Lord. That's a sign of maturity. And we're going to go over several principles to correct us, to show us. That's what's so awesome about this book, is that He's going to hit your heart, and He's going to tell you, stop that. Stop being a baby. Stop crawling in the Lord. Babies, they crawl, right? Adults walk. The Lord wants us walking in Him. When he talks about greetings, you know what that word in the Greek is? It means hello. Peace in the Greek means hello. One thing about James, as the New Testament, so you all know the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And as we look at this, do you remember when Paul used to write? Paul used to write both. He used to say grace and peace, right? He was saying hello both to the Greek and to the Jew, to the Hebrew. But here we just see that for whatever reason, James just said it in the Greek. But one thing that he says is hello. And this is what he tells us. Hello. Listen to these words. Grow up in the Lord. Mature in Him. Stop living as a baby. Stop living the way you used to live. Now we live for Him. And we live for others. And with that, we're going to close. Lord Jesus, we just thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for introducing us, Lord, to this literary masterpiece, Lord. We see that James is going to write imageries before us, Lord, of nature, Lord, to give us a better description, a better picture to hit home, Lord, 
Lord, you want to hit home, Lord, that you want us to grow up in you. You don't want us to be looking on the outside. You want us to, to look at the inside, at the heart of all, Lord. And your heart was one of love, Lord. Let us love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let us stop living for ourselves. Let us live for others and love others the way you, the way we love ourselves, Lord. Lord Jesus, my desire, and we call upon you, Lord. As James said, give us wisdom. We want your wisdom. We want the heavenly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above. We know that earthly wisdom is demonic. It comes from the devil. But we know that heavenly wisdom is from you. Lord Jesus, impart your wisdom through the words here in this book as we will go through this book, Lord, in the coming weeks, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this man, the example that he was for us, Lord. An example, Lord, a bondservant of you. Lord, I pray that we would all become bondservants of you, Lord. Serving you, Lord Jesus. Not dividing our heart for others and for other things. But fully surrender, Lord, to you and to your will, Lord. Lord, you brought everyone here, Lord, to complete this body. Lord, we all have a plan and a purpose in this body. Let us walk in it, Lord. Let us do as you are calling us. But we know that before any of this starts, it begins from surrender. It starts with surrender. It starts with us placing our faith in you. For those that are here, if anyone here wants to surrender their lives to the Lord, this is the beginning of a beautiful walk, of a transformation that will take place in you. Just like with James, when he saw the risen Christ for 30 years, he ridiculed him. He ignored him. He made fun of him. He didn't believe him. But when he believed, his life was transformed. No longer a man seeking to satisfy his flesh, but a man seeking to satisfy God. And God didn't leave him as an orphan, but he gave him his Holy Spirit to help him, to empower him. And that's what God wants to do with us. If there's anyone here that wants to surrender their life to the Lord, now is that time. I ask that you raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Before we close. Anyone else? Anybody that wants to recommit their lives to the Lord? Because sometimes we get dirty in this world. Amen. You get dirty in this world. Amen. Amen. And we know that our times are coming to an end. Amen. And it's time to recommit yourselves to Him. And to ask Him to guide you again to be your Lord to be your master to forgive you and to get back on that right step if there's anyone else that wants to recommit their lives before we close remember you don't clean yourself you don't say I'm going to become good and then surrender myself to him the Lord says let me do it the Lord says let me forgive you let me restore fellowship between you and God let me take your heart and mold it and shape it into a beautiful creation. Let me create beauty out of ashes. If there's anyone else that wants to recommit themselves or commit themselves before we close, raise your hand and I will pray for you. Amen. 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 Anyone else? 
Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord Jesus, we thank you for all of these that raised their hand, Lord. You're speaking to them, Lord. You're calling them not only to save them, but to mature them, Lord, so that they can be examples, Lord, to others, Lord, so that people can know that you are real, Lord. We are the first witness, Lord, of your power, Lord, of how you restore what the locusts, the grasshoppers have destroyed, Lord. Lord, I love you, Lord. And for those, I I think we have our prayer counselors there in the back. If you want prayer, I want you to come back. The prayer counselors are behind the worship team. Go back there and ask for prayer. If you're going through difficult times, James used to say, you know what? Let us lay hands on you. Let us pray for them. And let the Lord bring the healing upon you. If there's anything that you need prayer for, the counselors are in the back and they will pray for you. If there's anyone that gave themselves to the Lord today, need prayer, come back to the counselors and they will pray for you. Love you all. God bless you.